Themes, primarily the Parthians. Now, we're going to see those three elements here in these seven bowls. That's the last judgment. But what makes the seven bowls different is this is not a warning. This is total judgment. And for a difference here, we no longer are just the secondary audience. See, for the seven seals and the seven trumpets, we were secondary. The first primary message is to the first and second century church. But suddenly we are invited to go up to the front chairs and sit with those first and second century Christians because here in chapter 16, we have a mixture of judgment on Rome and the final judgment, the day of judgment. This judgment will come in quick succession, one right after the other. And they will illustrate the nature of God's judgment on sin. And we're going to note some pretty powerful images here and pretty scary images. But think for a moment, here's John, and how does he use human words to describe how terrible the day of judgment will actually be? The day of judgment is no picnic in the park. It's real and it's coming. This judgment will show what God's payback system is like. Verse number two. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. The people who are reading this for the first time, and us today, what should we be reminded of? This reminds me of what happened to the ancient Egyptians who enslaved God's people for hundreds of years. Then God pays them back with ten plagues. With the sixth one, being like this verse 2, skin bulls. You see, you don't want to be caught unprepared. God's punishment is severe for the unprepared. That's the nature of God's payback system. That's what God's judgment is like. It is no walk in the park. On the contrary, God's judgment is very severe. Verse number 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood. Remember when the Nile River became like blood? And it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Don't let anyone tell you that God's judgment won't hurt. You know, if this was literal, and this is an image, this is symbolism here, but this was literal, I mean, life as we know it would end. Because we got to have water. Water is basic to, to life. Don't let anyone tell you that God's judgment won't hurt. Don't you believe it for one second? Because God's judgment is very severe. God's payback system is very painful. More than that, God's judgment is suitable for the crime. 
Let's read verses 4 through 6. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water. And just like the sea, it became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. This part right here is a message to Rome. You're going to get paid back with your just desserts. The things that happened to Rome were so serious that after Rome fell, the city of Rome almost became a ghost town. People would not hardly even live there. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. Look at verse 6 there. Literally, it is, it is what they are worthy of. They are worthy of all this bad happening to them because they were so, so hard on the Christians, so unfair to the Christians. In other words, the punishment fits the crime. It's only fair. It's only right. And the martyred believers, they themselves agree. Verse 7. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Do you remember the altar? That's a reference back to Revelation 6, 9. The altar is a reference to those under the altar. These are those who were slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These were people who were killed just because they believed in Jesus. And they agree God's judgments are true and just. God's punishment is exactly what it needs to be. Because those people, those people were so cruel to the Christians. In Exodus... Pharaoh ordered that all Jewish male babies be drowned. Remember what happened at the end? Pharaoh, his army drowned in the Red Sea. Remember back in the book of Esther, Haman, he builds gallows to hang Mordecai. In the end, it's, they end up hanging Haman himself on those same gallows. Here in Revelation, Godless people shed the blood of innocent beings, innocent believers, and they pay for their sins. God's judgments are perfectly just. They are exactly right. Several years after inventing radar, Sir Robert Watson Watt was arrested in Canada for speeding in his car. You want to guess how he was caught? You guessed it. By radar. You know, it's kind of funny. That's often the way God works in judgment. He gives people a taste of their own medicine and they become victims of their own inventions. You recognize that picture? That's Lance Armstrong. 
through the 1990s and the first part of the 2000s, he was an American hero. He had conquered what would, should have been fatal cancer. And he had come back and he had won seven in a row Tour de France cycling championships. But then rumors got started about maybe he was not so innocent. Maybe he was taking illegal drugs and, and maybe he was doping and maybe he was doing things that you're not supposed to be doing. And what did Lance Armstrong do? He came out in a sworn affidavit. Here's what he said. Because see, he didn't want to lose all that endorsement money, which was millions and millions. He said, the faith of all the cancer survivors around the world, everything I do off the bike would go away if this was true about me taking drugs. He said, it's not about money for me. Here's what he said about that. It's also about the faith that people have put in me over the years so that all that would be erased if I took drugs. To that, I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay? He was lying through his teeth. He was running probably one of the biggest doping schemes ever in organized sports. In October of 2012, they took away his seven championships and all his sponsors left him because, see, he wasn't real at all. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. No one gets away with their sins. Oh, it may take time for the crop to ripen, but everyone reaps exactly what they sow. God's judgment is severe. God's judgment is suitable. And number three, God's judgment often hardens people. What does it do? For many people, it confirms them in their sin and it solidifies them in their unbelief. Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed. Who? They blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 8 and 9 is about Rome. You would think, you would think that Rome would get smart. And wise up and say, okay, we're being punished. We need to do better. But instead, they did just the opposite. Remember that series of slides I showed you about all the different Caesars and the cycle of persecution? They kept on blaming the Christians when they should have been blaming themselves. Instead of turning to God and begging for mercy, they cursed His name. Verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now, now we have the internal decay. The internal decay of Caesar. 
Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You know, if I kept on getting slapped in the head, Billy, I would try to wise up and try to correct myself. Rome did not correct themselves. In fact, they got further and further and further and further into sin. You know, someone once said, there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, I don't totally agree with that. When people are afraid, they say they turn to the Lord, but that's not always true. Some people reject Jesus so long that they come to the point where nothing will move them toward God. They reach a point, I call it the point of no return. And they just don't care anymore. Nothing will cause them to seek Jesus. Nothing will melt their hearts. Not even the threat of the fierce heat of God's wrath will make them change. It happened to Pharaoh in Egypt. God sent ten plagues on his land, and with each plague, Pharaoh hardened his heart even more. God's judgment did not cause him to repent. Instead, it just hardened him in his unbelief. Even after God killed his firstborn son and all the firstborn sons of Egypt, his heart was still hardened. He went after the children of Israel and ended up drowning in the Red Sea. You see, if people are not won by grace, they will never be won. The Bible says God's kindness leads you toward repentance. So don't be caught unprepared. If God is speaking to your heart today through His Word, if God is dealing with you about some issue in your life, please don't wait any longer to respond to God's mercy. For several years, during the uh, 24 years I was in Paragul preaching, for several years, I would visit once a month a man. He'd say, now, Michael, I'm going to become a Christian. <laughs> you just mark my words, Michael. I'm going to become a Christian. But he said, I'm not ready yet. I just can't do it right now. Billy, that was one of the saddest funerals I had ever been called upon to officiate. He never made that decision. He waited too long. Don't wait any longer to respond to God's mercy. Don't wait until God has to get tough with you. In other words, you may find your heart too hard to respond. And some of you may find yourself drowning, not in a sea, but in a lake. It's called the lake of fire. Don't be deceived. God's judgment is severe. God's judgment is suitable. God's judgment can and often hardens people's hearts if you allow it. And finally, God's judgment is certain. 
For those unprepared, God's punishment is sure. And there is nothing humanly you can do to stop it if you're not prepared. If you're not prepared. Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bow on the great river Euphrates. Stop right there. The river Euphrates was kind of the eastern boundary for the Roman Empire. On the other side of the river was the Parthians, their main enemy in the second and third centuries. And Rome just could not defeat the Parthians, it seemed like. And the Parthians kept on basically doing what they wanted to do against Rome. You see, for Rome it was natural disasters, internal decay, and enemies, the main enemy being the Parthians, those soldiers on horses that we've already seen. Verse 16, And they gathered them together to a place called in Hebrew Armageddon. This is probably a reference to Megiddo. Megiddo is a... Well, during the reign of Solomon was a fortress. He, he stored uh, uh, chariots and, and uh, men there as a fortress for his army. It's a fortress that looks over an extended plain, a beautiful plain, rich farmland. And it was also the intersection of two major highways. The Highway of the Sea, which is mentioned in the book of Matthew, and the king's highway coming from India. And many battles, many Old Testament battles were fought there. So John is using this imagery that they were familiar with, this battlefield, to illustrate what God is going to do. God is going to wipe out evil one day. He will wipe it out. He'll send all evil to that lake of fire. None of us can stop God, not even Satan himself. You know, Satan, Satan thought he had defeated Jesus at the cross. Um, I can just imagine Satan was probably laughing with glee. But the cross was that very thing that God used to defeat Satan and to seal his punishment. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in the cross. You see, the cross did it. Satan couldn't stop God at the cross, and he won't be able to stop God's judgment. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven, God speaking, from the throne, saying, It is done. You can't stop it. It's going to happen. Literally, it has come to be. No matter what men and demons will do to try and stop it, God's judgment will indeed come to be. If we have tomorrow, it's as certain as tomorrow's sunrise. It will happen. Revelation 16, verse 18. 
And there were noises and thunderings and lightning. And there was a great earthquake. All these natural disasters. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. And verse 19, what is God doing? He's remembering what the great Babylon had done against His people. Who is the great Babylon? That's Rome. And He's going to pay back all the things they had done against His children. For those unprepared, it will be a terrible day. But for those of us who trust and have obeyed Jesus, it will be a great day. Go back to verse 15. Does this remind you of anything? Verse 15. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Blessed, I'm coming as a thief. The day of judgment. You and I don't know what day it will be. Could it be tonight? It could be. Could it be tomorrow? It could be. Could it be next week? It could be. Next year? Yes. Next decade? Yes. You see, we don't know. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for the coming of Christ? Are you prepared for that day of judgment? President Eisenhower, one weekend, was visiting the city of Denver where his wife, Mamie, had grown up. That weekend, he'd heard the story of a little boy named Paul Hanley Jr. Paul Jr. had cancer. The doctors had told the family it's going to kill him. Not, a, not any hope. That touched the heart of President Eisenhower. He was supposed to be on his way to the airport to fly back to Washington. He told the motorcade, no, we're, we're, we're going to go find out where this little boy lives and I'm going to go visit him. So the Secret Service found out where he lived and the motorcade turned down that street and parked right in front of the house where that little boy lived. And the president and his wife got out of the motorcade they walked up to the door and knocked. The little boy's dad came to the door, Paul Hanley Sr. He hadn't shaved since Friday morning. He was wearing a t-shirt that hadn't been washed in about a week or two. He had old dirty jeans on. His hair was just like crazy because he hadn't taken a shower since Friday morning. I mean, he looked pretty rough. The neighbors all saw the presidential motorcade, and they all started coming over and kind of sneak a peek at the president. They were all amazed at the president and what he was doing, and he took that little boy, he took him out to the, to the limousine and, and let him sit there behind the steering wheel at the limousine, and he just, uh, you know, spent about 30 minutes with that little boy. Then they walked back to the house, and the president got back in his car and left. His neighbors, they all were talking, wow. The president came to our neighborhood. Can you believe it? The president of the United States came to our neighborhood. A war hero. 
At the same time, Paul Hanley Sr., the little boy's dad, here's what he said. Think of it. The President of the United States, and here I am without my hair combed, unshaved, wearing a grubby t-shirt and this pair of old faded jeans. Paul Hanley Sr. was unprepared. Will you be prepared when that knock comes for you? Are you prepared right now? What if I told you that I knew that Jesus was going to come in 30 minutes? Now, I don't know. Let's just pretend for a moment. What if I told you that Jesus was going to come back in 30 minutes? That the judgment day would start in 30 minutes? How many would be responding? I think we all would, would we not? Those of us who have never become a Christian, we'd want to be baptized in the next 30 minutes. Hey, I want to get in that water. I want to do it. I believe. I want to repent. I want to confess. I want to be baptized. Those of us who are Christians, we'd be searching our hearts for anything that we needed to seek forgiveness for. Well, you know, seemed like, well, yeah, I, I, I better seek forgiveness for that sin. And yeah, I did that and this over here. And, you know, I haven't been a good example. I want my church family to be praying for me. The truth is we don't know when Jesus will come back. We should be responding just like he would be coming back in 30 minutes if there's a need in our hearts. Notice the words of this song. I want to thank Nathan for leading this song. I I picked it out for him because it fits this lesson. As you sing the song, notice the words. Because the words have a very powerful message to say to you tonight. If you do have a need to respond, will you please do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement.